I'm going to just steal this real quick. This may be my first time preaching, but I'm more of a pulpit preacher, um, <laughs> unlike Robert, um, who just seems to just do it just standing up here. Um, but um, good morning. It's a beautiful day today. Has it, has it not been? I woke up this morning and was like, it's actually kind of cold this morning. Like, it's great to, you know, not wake up and just immediately sweat. Um, so for those of you who don't know who I am, um, as Jeremy and Gwen both introduced, I'm Noah. Um, I'm actually the worship leader here at Ridgetop, um, and Robert is a senior pastor here. Um, however, he is out of town this week, and so he has asked me um, to share the word with you all this morning. Um, and so I both anxiously and gladly said yes. Um, so, um, yeah, let's just, just dive in. As Gwen read, we're uh, going to come from Romans 12, 11 through 13. Um, and kind of the topic we're talking about um, is this idea of service. Um, and so to kind of sh- shed a little bit of light on it, of kind of um, we're, we're going through a series called Contrast Culture. So it's, it's this idea of we're not counterculture, of being like we're doing the exact opposite of what the world does. Um, but we're seeing some of the things that maybe the world uses as good and what our call is as Christians to do that. Um, and even some of the things that maybe the world says is good but is not and what our call is in that. So I want to share with you a little bit of, of my life. Uh, for those of you who know me, you know I am not a morning person. Mornings, I, I'm many times one of the last people to get there. Um, and it's, it's very difficult for me to wake up in the mornings. Um, now, when I was a college student, I could, I could get away with it, you know, sign up for classes that are like 9 or 10 or something. Um, you know, no caffeine needed. And so as a college student, as I saw so many people drinking coffee around me and being even slightly dependent on it, I was like, man, we need to do something about this. Like, there's, this is too much caffeine being consumed, and it is not good for us. Um, however, as I now have a regular work hour job, um, I have now seen more and more so of like, maybe they're not so crazy for drinking that much coffee. Um, because I, in the morning, take forever to get started on work. And so I'm like, it, it would be nice to have a little, little pick-me-up in the morning to actually get started and do things. And so before we started kind of doing services here, a couple of the guys here would meet Sunday mornings um, to do a Bible study. Um, and many times we would be meeting very early in the mornings because Robert would have to preach somewhere else afterwards. Um, and so it was like at 7.30 that we were meeting up. And he had the great wisdom of having us meet at a coffee shop. So we would all show up, be able to grab coffee and be refreshed and actually have you know a productive Bible study, not just all of us half asleep being like, yeah, I have no idea what you just said, and feeling like it was a waste of time. So, um, and it never was. It was, it was a great, great time. Um, and so I'm not normally a coffee drinker, but um, every Sunday as we showed up to this coffee shop, I got coffee because I was like, I'm not going to be productive at all. Um, I need it. I very much need it in this morning uh, to, to dive into the Word and actually understand anything. And so um, I kind of learned in that moment, like baristas, really get people at their worst. They're getting people in the morning when they don't want to deal with anything. It's like, people are just like, I just need my coffee. Please, like any slight like rudeness like immediately gets exploded in the morning because people are like, I am too tired to do anything. Um, and so I kind of like was looking back at that and I was like, oh, I think kind of the difference between like a, a, a maybe a good barista and a bad barista, I mean, sure the coffee plays a role, but I think the service that they give actually plays a pretty solid role because you're dealing with people when they're like really don't want to deal with anything else. And so trying to, to be good to them can really go a long way. 
And so every morning when I showed up, it was actually very nice because the, the baristas there were incredible and they were super kind to us um, and be like, oh yeah, like what would you like this morning? Uh, you know, whatever I can do to help you was great. There was a couple times even when we were meeting up, you know, I'd order my coffee and I'd sit down and you know, wait for them to call my name and they would actually like bring the coffee to me. And I was like, oh wow, this is like great. Like I was expecting to have my name shouted and being like, oh, I gotta get up again and go get the coffee. Um, even some of the other guys around us were like, dude, what did you do to get like such special treatment to get like your coffee handed to you? Um, and so it was just like that small act of service that like really helped set the tone there of like, oh yeah, like this is a joyous place for me to be. This is a great place for me to be at. And so we're gonna, gonna dive into that, the idea of service, of something that goes beyond just doing like a, a simple good deed every now and then. Uh, the idea of what, what Christ has formed, what service should look like for us, um, and even how we do it, and how we do it on a constant basis. Um, so as it says in, in the passage of, um, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and constant in prayer. Um, contribute to the needs of the saints, um, and seek to show hospitality. Um, I kind of, as I looked at that, um, found like these kind of key points of, of what service actually looks like, and that we must be zealous in our desire to serve the Lord, be dependent on God for what is needed, and be actionable in serving those around us. Um, so let's break that down, and luckily in Paul's writing, he, he really breaks it down verse by verse, so making it a lot easier for, for me to share that with y'all. So starting off with verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal. I think this really kind of portrays kind of the, one of the biggest, I think, changes of this idea of just doing something good and truly being like a servant, a constant servant. Um, and so to kind of look at, at this, uh, the first word that immediately pops up to my like, vision is the word slothful and what that means. And the word sloth immediately came to my head of like these adorable animals that um, like super chill, cute, but they're so slow. So if you all know where this comes from, this image, um, it comes from the movie Zootopia, which is a great movie, it's super funny. Um, for those unfamiliar, it's a movie where everyone's animals. So like the usual, like, you know, uh, the main character is a cop, which is a bunny um, and works with a fox. And so us as humans, we already complain about the DMV being incredibly slow. Like, I don't want to go there. I don't want to get some, like, try to get something done because maybe I don't have paperwork and then I wasted four hours of my life. Or maybe I did finally get what I was done, what I needed to get done, but still feel like I wasted four hours of my life. And so the creators of Zootopia thought it would be an incredible joke to have the people who work at the DMV be sloths. And if you've seen that movie, they're just so slow moving to get anything done. Um, and so that kind of just immediately popped to my mind of like this idea of just being slow moving. They almost have like this lazy nature to them. When you think of the sloth, you kind of think of lazy, something that just like takes its time, does whatever. Even like the, their facial expressions, I think they did a good job of capturing even what actual sloths, like facial expression looks like. Of like, I got no care in the world. I'm ready, like I'll get there when I get there. It happens when it happens. Um, and so our call here is to, to, to be the opposite of that. Do not be slothful. Uh, in zeal, and zeal is kind of the, the big kind of grabber word that I think is here and is a, a prominent thing for us, I think. It's been a, a late struggle for us um, as followers of Christ is we're kind of in this environment in a world that says, you know, 
wait till everything is perfect and fully aligned and you're ready. If you need to take steps back, take steps back. You don't have to do something until everything is just like perfectly in place. Um, and it's, 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 it's out of this idea to care for people, but it has caused people to slow down really in a way where it has become incredibly difficult to take action on anything. Um, and even I feel like has, has led to even these things of day by day being like, oh, maybe next day I'll do it. And led to even this like somewhat procrastination culture that we have of just like being extremely slow to get things done. And we see here very clearly of do not be slothful in zeal. The call is to, to be the opposite of that, to have an immediacy of something of when, we, when God gives us a command to be like, yes, here it is, and have an incredible drive and desire to do it. Uh, but not only like a kickstart for like when the call comes, but a kickstart for the next day when the call continues, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. Zeal is not a, a, a one-time kickstart, but a, a forever thing of, God, this is the call. I'm going to do this today. Not, I'll get around to it. It's, this, is, this is what I'm doing. I think of, um, as many of you know, I've been working out a lot more lately because I want to take care of myself, take care of my body. I work in a job where I just sit at a desk all day and don't do anything. And my body was definitely starting to feel it. And so it's like, I need to go out, exercise, um, even eat better. Um, but I, I feel like many of us have definitely gone through the experience of like, oh yeah, I'm gonna finally do it. Um, you know, I, the iconic New Year's resolution of I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna finally work out, it's gonna happen today. And then you do it the one day, and then you don't think about it the next day. Cause you're like, oh, I don't really have that passion today. I don't really feel like getting up maybe early or you know, I've just finished a day of work. I really don't feel like just finishing a day of work and now going to exercise. And I found for me, it was just like, I, I just had to jump into it. I had to be like, we're doing this every day. Um, luckily for us, the zeal to, um, to serve the Lord is not like working out where it's dependent on our desire. Um, as we see in the, the verse continues, be fervent in spirit. This is where our zeal comes from, from the desires of the Holy Spirit that resides in us. Um, in Romans 8, 9, and 10, um, it elaborates more on this. And as it says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. This idea of the spirit gives us life and presses us forward. He resides in us. So that's where our zeal comes from. It's not a thing of like, oh man, I've really got to try today to, to stay zealous, to stay passionate about serving the Lord um, and being a servant and having these desires. It's like, no, these come from the spirit that reside in you. Now, there's a difficulty to it, though, um, that we see early on in Romans 7, where Paul is talking about the desires of the spirit now being our desires. Um, however, as the spirit resides in us, we still live on this earth. We still live in the flesh. Um, so the desires to do evil come from the flesh. So there's this, the spirit, yes, is, is pressing us to do these good things, but we still have the flesh saying, no, do these things. You know, do, do the things that afterwards you're going to be like, I, I didn't want to do that. I feel worse from doing that, these desires to do evil. And that creates a kind of a complication for us of like, okay, I want to listen to the desires of the spirit, but how do I do that? Some have, have 
felt like, oh, now I'm a follower of Christ, so therefore all my desires must be the desires of the Spirit. And we must be wary not to fool ourselves in that way, in that not every desire we have is, is from the Spirit because we still live here on earth. We need to grow and mature in our faith to discern what it is that God has for us, to learn that these are the things that the flesh wants and these are the things the Spirit wants. These are the good things. These are the ones that are driving me forward every day. And, and maturing just comes from spending time with God. If you want to know what God is zealous for, what he is passionate about, you spend time in his word because he very clearly states in the Bible what the things are that he is passionate about, the things that he's like, yes, we need to go and do this. Um, and many times can be incredibly invigorating for us of like, I don't know, this is the desire of the spirit or the flesh. And then you read here of like, God is passionate for the exact same thing. So let us then fully jump in. There's no doubt of what it is that he is passionate for. So our zeal comes from him, um, a, a daily zeal, a forever zeal. And we see this first point of this first act of service here of serve the Lord found at the end of verse 11. This is where like, our, our, our zeal comes from, to, to serve God, um, to serve our Father. When we say God is Lord of our life, we're saying you, you control things. Now I serve you. My desires are to serve you on a daily basis. We even see this model of, of serving the Lord taken by Jesus himself um, and described by Jesus himself. We see in Matthew 20, there's a story of a, a mother calls for her sons to be great by holding authority, saying, I want one to sit at your right hand and one to sit at your left hand because I want them to be great within your kingdom. And Jesus' response in verses 26 and 28 says, It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So he says greatness comes from serving, and so much so that the greatest person ever, the Son of Man, came to serve. He didn't come to come sit on a throne and say, I'm here, I'm king. He came to serve us. He does us the greatest service um, by saving us from our sin, by coming to earth to die for us. The punishment of our sin is death. And he decided to take that on for us and defeat it and give us an incredible opportunity to have an eternal life with him. We see even smaller acts of service like throughout his life. It's not just the purpose of his life on earth, but we see the smaller acts of him, you know, healing people, giving sight to the blind, helping the lame walk again. Like we see those small acts of service that he does for us. But I think one of the greatest examples we see is his service to his father. So we see this before he is going to the cross. He's at the Garden of Gethsemane. He wants to be by himself because he wants to just be him and his father. Um, and he's praying to his father, asking that this burden be lifted of dying for us. Um, he says, if there's a way, you know, please, I don't want to die. But he ends that prayer with saying that your will be done. And we see later on that he does execute that. He does die on the cross for us. Um, so his thing, his, his, even we see here with him, he's like, a desire of mine is to not have to die. But my ultimate desire is to be a servant of you. And it, it's a great reflection for us of seeing like, oh, we saw Jesus do the same thing. We even see the zeal he had, the passion he had for this. Um, in the telling of this story in Luke 22, it says he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. That's how passionate he was about it was that it became physical for him 
of saying, I want to do your will and deny these desires to, to walk away from this. He returns to the disciples who were outside the garden um, that were supposed to be praying as he was praying with his father and he finds them sleeping, um, tells them to wake up, um, that they should be praying and even gives them a key in on, on how to do that when they're so incredibly tired and saying that the spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak. It's, a, it's another acknowledgement of the spirit is inside us and wants us to serve, to, to have this idea of what we're going to see here later of, of prayer and dependence, but the flesh is weak. So in order to have this zeal, we understand now, yes, the spirit is with us, um, but we have this flesh component that is trying to pull us away from it. And so how do we live our lives zealous, but with that flesh still? And that comes from a dependence on the Lord. We must be dependent on him. We see that in verse 12. Um, as it starts off saying, rejoice in hope. According to the Oxford Dictionary, the definition of hope is a feeling of expectation that something is going to happen. So, um, when I was a young boy in, in elementary school, um, you know, as many of you all were, like it was playing all day, um, so incredibly tired. So now you're back home and, you know, you're like, you're ready to, to eat and then just go to sleep. Um, or maybe you had more energy and you wanted to play some more. Um, but I was ready to eat, as many of my siblings were. We were like, we're tired, we're hungry. Uh, and our mom, she worked as a middle school librarian so many times. She would show up at home after us. My father would pick us up. And then she would show up home, home after us because, you know, she had to wait for her kids to be dismissed. Um, and so she's had a long work day. She's incredibly tired. Um, she's ready to relax, um, just drop everything and just probably sleep. And I think the first couple times she came home and she opens the door and she sees her kids running to her. She's hoping like, oh, they're going to take my bags. They're going to take my lunchbox, you know, my coat and everything. And I'm just going to be able to relax and have a conversation, you know, with my husband about work. And the first word that comes out of our mouths is not even like, oh, mom, we miss you. Or I love you, mom, is mom, what's for dinner? What are we eating? And she would always get so frustrated. I, every day she expected it of like, even knew that we were coming to ask that and be like, I'm not even home yet, even though she was in home already, but she's like, I haven't put my stuff down. But as his kids, we had this expectation. Mom is here. We're going to get fed now. We had that hope that when our mom came home, we would be fed now. We were dependent on it. I mean, as kids, what were we going to do if our mom said, no, you're not going to be fed? I mean, Maybe make a sandwich or something, but I'm pretty sure we would have gotten tired of those really, really quickly. We were dependent on our parents feeding us, um, but we had a hope in that. We could rejoice in that. We were excited for it. We were excited for, like, let's eat. Let's see what mom has for dinner for us. Um, so the idea of hope, yes, is, is an expectation of something to, to occur, but our hope in God is very much a dependent one. Um, as followers of Christ, we have a hope in Jesus that there will be a day when he returns and we get to live with him in, for, in perfection. We are dependent on that. That one day he will come back. Because without that, then there's no purpose of what we're doing. We die and then that's it. We are dependent on the fact that one day Jesus will come back to save us. We have many other hopes and promises from God. In Philippians 4, we see the hope of peace when giving him our anxieties. Matthew 11, we see the hope of rest when we come to him. In John 8, we see the hope of freedom. These are incredible things that I'm so glad that, that God gives us. But I don't know about you all, but I'm utterly dependent on these things. If I do not have peace, 
I can't do anything. If I do not have rest, I've found so many times in my life when I'm just working and working and working and trying to do stuff, I'm like, why is it becoming harder? And I'm like, I haven't rested. I haven't, I haven't taken time to, to refill and keep going. If not, I'm just going to tire out. So, yes, we rejoice in these great things that God has given us. And we rejoice that we are dependent on a God that gives us these things. I mean, isn't that great that we are dependent on the God of the universe who can do anything? Like, that's, it's, it's an incredible thing of like, yes, I'm not worried. I mean, I, worry will come because I live on earth. But I have the hope that I can be with God. And even, even if I'm going through something, I have the ultimate hope that he will return one day and I get to have eternal life with him, that I get to live with him forever. Um, but we do live in a broken world. And we see that in the next part of this verse as it calls us to be patient in tribulation. I don't think I need to inform you all on the brokenness that we live in, the tribulations that come with life. I doubt that there is a single person in this room that hasn't gone through a trial in their life, that hasn't gone through a moment where just life sucks. There are so many different ways that it can form and look like, like losing a family member, financial hardship, relational strain, so many others. I mention these because these are the ones I know, and I know some of you know. Um, and I need God during those moments. There's not a time where I've, I've gone through those moments and been like, no, I can power through myself. I've thought it, and I've tried it, and I've failed utterly where I'm like, I just, I don't want to do anything. I really just hate things right now, and I, I want something else. I wish these weren't here. And I wish I could say that, you know, being utterly dependent on God means these don't come, um, but they do. But the beauty of being dependent on God is when these come, we can be dependent on him. We can rejoice that there's going to be hope, that we will one day be out of this tribulation, whether it's the next day, within a month, within a year, or whether it's when we go to see him. So we are called to be patient in it, to, to wait on him in it, to wait in the brokenness. But the call to wait, the call to rejoice, are not like idle calls of, you know, just do it once, or just sit there and do nothing. We see where we, we, we see the actions of doing that, of what it means to rejoice in hope and be patient in tribulation. In the ending of verse 12, where it says, be constant in prayer. That is how we rejoice in our hope. That is how we are patient in our tribulation, as we pray to God. The idea of prayer, the, the posture of prayer is a posture of submission and reliance on God. I mean, when we think about prayer many times, we think about someone who's on their knees praying to God. It's a, a, it's a posture of you are above and I am kneeling before you. I mean, we see Jesus take this exact posture in the Garden of Gethsemane as he's saying, God, your will be done. Even, even what we do in our prayer, the acts that we do in our prayer are postures of submission. If we think about when we pray and we thank God for things, it's an acknowledgement that he gives us those things. He gives us everything. And we need him for those things. So God, thank you for the beautiful weather. You have given that to us. If not, we'd be scorching another day. Maybe it's a God, thank you for providing healing or delivering me from this incredible test that I had to take and cause great anxiety. This thanking God is saying, it, it's come from you. What we usually think of in prayer, what many people think of in prayer, of asking things of God, is, is to think of, yes, God, everything comes from you. So not only thanking you for what you have given me, I'm asking for more. I'm asking you to, to provide in the ways that I need help. 
I'm asking you for, to, to help me in these trials and tribulations. It's, it's, a, it's a posture of saying, I need you for these things. Without you, I don't have these things that I'm, I'm needing. Even pointing back to that rest and peace and freedom. Even in our posture of confession and seeking forgiveness from God is a posture of saying, I can't wipe away my sin. I can't make my slate clean. I need you to do that. I'm reliant on you to do that. Because if not, then I, I still live in that punishment of death that comes with the faults of mine, with the faults of us. So these are all postures of, God, I need you for this. And the beauty of this is that God keeps his promises. We see that many times in, in the scripture um, of him giving promises and fulfilling them himself. And I can tell you from my own personal life that those promises I mentioned of peace and rest and freedom, I mentioned those because those are the ones I've seen God give me, um, demonstrate in my life. I even have it, Philippians 4, 6-7, where it talks about that hope of peace. I have that inscribed on my ring as a reminder of I think one of the greatest lessons God taught me in college was to give all my anxieties to him, and he grants me peace. That's why I wear this. Um, yes, I'm a proud UT student, but I think the scripture that's inscribed in it is much more valuable. Now, what does it mean to be constant in prayer? I can just tell you to be constant in prayer, but it's like, what does that look like? Um, some things that, some ways that it can look like to be constant in prayer is just pray for everything. It may seem silly, uh, but pray for everything. Um, those of us who may have grown up in a Christian household are used to praying for our food, and we're kind of like, why is that? Well, we see there, even that comes from God. So we should pray, thank you, God, for this, for providing this. We should be praying for everything, for the weather, for, you know, maybe a great day at work, um, or a very relaxed day of not a whole ton of work, or for the weekend, or whatever it is. Pray for those things, because they come from God. It may feel silly, but as we do that, we create this posture of like, no, everything comes from God, even the little things. To even tie it even further of creating this rhythm of constant prayer. Um, tie prayer into the things that you do. When you wake up, pray. When you go to sleep, pray. Like I mentioned before, when you eat, pray. For those of you who are students, when you're walking to class, pray. You have to do these things, so why not pray while you're doing them? Why not create these things that are already constants in your life. If you put prayer in them, then prayer becomes more of a constant within your life. So now we've seen kind of this preparation of being zealous for the Lord and, and what he has for us and wanting to hear his commands and be like, yes, I'm going to go forward with it and I'm going to rely on you as I go forward in it to provide for what's needed um, to help me in the trials that come with it. Um, to thank you for all the beauties that I get to see in it. Now, what is it that we're doing? What does our actual service look like? This is our call to be actionable, to, yes, be zealous for what the Lord has put on our hearts and it says in his word and to be dependent on him, but we have to take action. We can't just say, yes, I'm ready to serve and I'm relying on you for this and then just calling it in there. The call is to serve. And we see that in verse 13. The call to contribute uh, to the needs of the saints is the first one we see. Um, and this is kind of that second act of service as we saw serving the Lord. Um, this is that 
second contribution of as a call to, to serve each other. And first is the needs of the saints. If you're unfamiliar with the term the saints of what that means, that means us. That means followers of Christ. So that means to, to lift each other up. This is a direct call to, to look at this community and even the greater community beyond us of believers and see what needs they have and to contribute to the needs, to walk alongside God in them. It says contribute. It doesn't say fulfill. It says contribute, to be alongside as God fulfills those needs. And so we are doing a role as, as obedience to God, as serving God. We're contributing to the needs of each other. We need to see what each other's needs are. Uh, I'm reminded by the story of Elijah and the widow found in 1 Kings 17. If you're unfamiliar with who Elijah is, he was a prophet uh, of God um, during the times of the Old Testament um, and would be the one that essentially God spoke to him and he would speak to the people, this is what God has said. Many times he was dealing with the kings of Israel in their many flaws, following other gods and making their own selfish decisions of this is what God has called. And so... Um, Israel is in a time of drought, um, and Elijah is needing food. And he meets a widow and her son and asks for food, saying, hey, could, uh, could you help this servant of God um, in providing for me? And the widow says, I only have enough flour and oil to make one more meal for me and my son before we die. And, the, and Elijah calls to the Lord, and, and the Lord says that, um, calls, calls the widow to serve his prophet, and says, as, as, as you serve, do not worry, the flour will not run out and the oil will not run dry until the rains fall again and you can be sustained again. And from this we see that Elijah is fed. He is sustained in his service to the Lord. But also the widow and her son is sustained in service to the Lord because they were obedient to the call of, yes, we will serve your servant they are blessed as well. So we see this act of, of both the widow and Elijah being lifted up and being provided for in their call to serve the Lord and to serve each other. A great real world, real world example I saw of this was, um, as many of you know, the Reynolds are not from here in Texas and they had to move over here. And moving is a huge ordeal um, and requires a lot of manpower. And so... Um, many of us had only known them for like a month maybe, um, but they made aware a need that they had to move. Like they were moving, they finally had a space where they could place their family in, and they needed help. And so a couple of us said, sure, we see a fellow follower of Christ who is in need. Let us help him. And so uh, Anse, Christian, Robert, and I, we said that Saturday as we were here, we're like, yeah, let's, let's help them move in. And we spent several hours of that day serving them. But one of the greatest examples I saw was from a friend of mine named uh, Jason Harrison, which uh, those of you who come from the BSM world, um, many of you are also great friends with him, um, incredible follower of Christ. Um, and he was visiting here in Austin for a bit, um, and he was hanging out with Christian at the time, and they come, came by the church to kind of see what it is that we were a part of, um, to look at this great space opportunity that we have of having a building here in Austin as a church plant. And Jason had just met Jeremy, known him for a couple minutes, um, and saw the need that Jeremy had of their moving. The Reynolds are moving his family. Um, and so he said, sure, I'll help you. I see a need of a fellow follower of Christ. And because I know that, yes, I see the need and I will fulfill it. And so he spent 
that many, those many hours that all of us did alongside us, helping move the Reynolds in. Um, and it was, it, was a, it was a great time for us to help lift each other up, to get to know each other more, um, and, to, and to serve each other. Um, so we need, to, we need to look towards each other, seeing what are each other's needs. Yes, we're going to see later the call to serve others, um, but that does not mean ignore the needs of, of, of each other, of the church, of followers of Christ. Um, many times we have a, a call to be like, oh no, you know, don't worry about me. Um, you know, let's go help this person who does not know who Christ is. Yes, we want to do that. But share your needs with each other because the call is to, is to help each other. Do not be afraid to be like, I, I have this genuine need and I, I need help. Um, and many times we see of um, there that in our service to the Lord, it's a call to serve each other. And we see the call not to serve just each other, but as I alluded to, to serve those around us who are not followers of Christ, as we see here at the end of verse 13, to seek to show hospitality. The idea of hospitality is you have a place that you call home, a place that you are comfortable in, and you're like, this is, I'm, I'm relaxed here. And you bring someone else in who does not call that place home, who is not, does not immediately just think, oh yeah, I'm going to be welcome here. And you make them welcome there. So this is the call for us of our home is, is each other, the communities of the followers of Christ, and we want to invite people into them um, and serve them and, and, and make them feel welcome. And this is not just a hospitality call to our physical homes. Yes, that is part of it. But it's, it's a call to have them be in, in the, the spaces we call home. Like, for example, if you call this church your home, it's a call to invite people here into this space. This is not just for, for us, for followers of Christ. It's bring them in and share with them the, the great news that you're hearing, the ability to worship God in every way, in every aspect, through prayer and sharing his word and hearing it preached. If you call the basketball court your home, of a place you feel comfortable, invite people into that. If you call your kitchen your home, invite people into that. Um, if you call your hikes your home, the place that you feel comfortable in it, invite them into that. And it's not just an invitation to observe, to just be like, look at what I'm doing. It's a call to, to welcome them in, to have them play an active role in it. If you enjoy cooking in Invite someone not just for a meal, but to say, hey, do you want to cook with me in this? Into a place where it's like the kitchen, I know where everything's at. And you're coming into my kitchen and have no idea where anything is. And I want to do this with you. Make you feel like this is a spot you can cook and be comfortable in. So that call to service is to allow them to play active roles in our lives. Not just be observers, but to, to share in the things that we call home. There's a phrase that is commonly said um, do not know where it's coming from, but I am stealing it. It's not my phrase. Um, and I'm sure so many of you have heard it before of the idea that there is always a seat at the table. So this is not we make room at the table when someone comes. Is there a spot for you to sit and be welcome, to eat with us, to play a role with us, to share this with us? And I have another great example of a great friend of mine who, who demonstrated this for me. Uh, his name was Alexander Coe. Um, he was a student here at UT when I was here, um, now lives in California. Um, but he was a sophomore here uh, at UT when I came in as a freshman. Um, and of course, many freshman UT students come in of this idea of we know what's going on, we know what to do, we got into UT, so we should know what we're doing. 
But I know that many freshmen, I think, share this feeling that I had of, I'm putting on this face of I know what I'm doing. I have no idea what I'm doing. Please someone tell me what to do. If not, I'm gonna be spending the weekends going back home because that's familiar with me. Um, and so uh, Alex saw this freshman and said, sure, like, you know what, let me, let me invite him into my life. And it started off just like inviting me over for dinner at his place, at his apartment. And it was a great time. And as our friendship grew, um, we saw our passion for music that we shared and we played music together. We saw our passion for basketball that we shared and we played basketball together. And we went to spaces that were outside of his home. We'd play at the piano that was found in the Jester dormitory. We'd play at Gregory Gym to play basketball. And it was a constant invitation of this is my life. Um, like play an active role in it. I want to serve you in it, um, to welcome you here to not just UT campus, but even this Christian community that I have, the BSM. Um, and he was one of the greatest examples I ever saw of hospitality. Um, and one that I'm forever grateful for, as it, it played a role in why I felt welcome at UT, why I felt welcome within the Baptist Student Ministry, um, which is an incredible student organization that I was part of as a UT student. Um, and so, and it was from his hospitality that, that I felt that way. So this is the call to invite people into our spaces. So maybe you find yourself in maybe one of these situations of uh, the struggle of zeal. I feel like it's a, a very common one of, I want to have the desires of the Spirit be my desires. I want to wake up every day and be like, yes, I want to serve the Lord. But it is a struggle. And I know because it's a struggle for myself as well. Um, but we have to, to have this idea that the zeal comes from the Spirit, that it comes from God. And so if we want to know what He is zealous for, like I said, we need to be in His Word. We need to be hearing His words. If we're not hearing from Him, how can we know what He is zealous for? How can we know what His desires are? So we need to be spending daily time with Him, which is a struggle, I know. Um, and there are many people here who would love, and I would love to share with you just from my experience, the things that I've learned on, on how to do that. Maybe you find yourself feeling like you're constantly failing. Like I'm trying so hard, but I'm failing. I need, to, I need God to do this. I need to be dependent on God. As Paul says there right in the scripture, it's a call to be constantly in prayer. That's where we find our dependence on God when we create a constant posture of submission of saying, everything comes from you, so I need you for this. I need you for the zeal to have every day. I need you for the things that you provide that allow me to serve. I need you for the communities to form around me. I need you. So we must be constant in prayer. And like I said, if that's a struggle for you, start with praying for, for the things that are already constant in your life. Add prayer to that. Maybe you find yourself just not seeing where it is you need to serve. Like, I don't see the needs of people. I don't, I, don't, I don't see people I need to be hospitable to. My encouragement to you is to spend even greater time with community, with the community of believers around you, and with the community of people who do not know who God is. Because uh, I guarantee when you spend more and more intentional time with them of wishing to know who they are, you begin to see what their needs are. You begin to see what it is that they are burdened with. If you want to have a greater passion to share the gospel with people, spend time with people who do not know who the gospel, do not know the gospel. Because I guarantee you will see their desires and hopes in things that aren't it, aren't the gospel, and them constantly be like, this fell through again. 
I don't have anything. Life really sucks right now. And I know I've, I've known my life as I've spent more time with them and I hear this more and more and more. I'm like, there's an answer for your need and it's, it's God, it's Jesus. He's extending his hand out. You just need to accept it. So if you wish to know the needs of each other and the needs of those who do not know who God is, spend time with those people, intentional time with those communities. Go beyond just coming into work and then leaving immediately or going to class and leaving immediately, coming into this space and leaving immediately. Spend time talking with each other. Share your lives with each other and you will see the needs. We even spent this morning as we were preparing praying and talking about the highs and lows, the things to celebrate with each other, and even the struggles that we went through this week. Um, and from that, I saw the needs of many people, um, of people who are going through hardship right now, or recovering from a tough time, um, people who just didn't have good weeks, um, and could really use some encouragement. And so that is my challenge to you. Maybe you hear all of this, you're like, service is great. It's, it's a wonderful thing. And I want to serve in this way where it's not a, oh, I feel like doing a good thing now. But every day I seek to see ways to lift each other up, to help provide for each other's needs. But you do not know who the God of the universe is that provides for these things. I want to share with you, as I've been sharing, um, that Jesus cares incredibly about you. So much that he did the greatest act of service of saving you. He was the greatest servant that we have ever seen and will ever see, as he had the passion and zeal and submission to say, I care about them so much, I'm going to listen to my father. I'm going to come down, live the life of a human, die on a cross, the punishment that they deserve for all their faults. And I'm not just going to end there, I'm going to conquer death, creating now an opportunity, extending a hand of a free gift of saying, just follow me. And from that relationship that we form now with Christ, we can begin to see these acts of service play a role in our lives. So if that's you, if you're like, I, I don't know this gospel, I don't know this God, um, I want to extend an invitation to you. I'd love to talk to you about it. If you're just curious about it and want to know more, if you want to make that decision, I would absolutely love to talk to you. There are many of us in this room that would absolutely love to talk to you and just help you take that next step if you just want to look more into it. So please, please don't be shy. Come, and I want to serve you all. We all want to serve each other. And so as Ellen and Hogan come back up and prepare um, for our final song of worship, um, let me pray over you. Dear God, thank you so much for the servant that you are in giving us salvation and giving us the promises of hope, of peace, and of rest, and of freedom, and many others, that we can rely on you for these things, that we can trust you for these things, that you give us this desire, this zeal, to jump forward and serve each other, to serve you. So I pray that we are reliant on you, um, that we see your desires to serve God and to serve each other and that we take actions in our life to truly do so, um, to be constant in it. So, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.